Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. At the beginning of this year, we talked about Firmageddon. That was a name for the largest die-off of fir trees ever recorded in 75 years of surveys by the U.S. Forest Service and the Oregon Department of Forestry. It included all kinds of trees, white firs, grands, nobles, and Oregon's state tree, the Douglas fir. Today, we're going to turn to what this means for one community that's in the shadow of its own local die-off. In some forests around Ashland, half of Doug firs are dead or dying. Chris Chambers is the forest officer for the city of Ashland. Max Bennett is a retired extension forester at Oregon State University. He's led research on Doug fir mortality. They both join us now. Welcome to Think Out Loud. Thank you. Thank you. So Chris Chambers first, can you give us a sense for the scale of the die-offs that you're seeing around Ashland? You know, it's really hard to get your arms around it. Uh, we surveyed about 800 acres that are impacted that are directly under the city's management purview, but that is by no means the uh, scope of the problem. It extends for many, many thousands of acres uh, out in all directions from Ashland. Uh, you know, we we kind of look at our own backyard and what we can control right now. Uh, and that's just one small slice of it. And uh, Max may have a, a better sense of you know what that looks like uh, regionally. Yes, uh, Max, man, I mean, let's if you can give us the, the regional picture here, just just so we have a sense for the scale of this problem. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, tens of thousands of trees have been killed. Um, thousands, uh, tens of thousands of acres are affected. Uh, ranging from Douglas County down through uh, the Rogue Valley out in the Applegate Valley. So sort of the the drier, hotter portions of Southwest Oregon. Uh, but that's not to say that every tree, every Douglas fir tree ha has died. It's, it's pretty concentrated on those hot and dry sites. Back in January, when we talked about Firmageddon, the conversation included a lot of what are known as true firs, like grand firs and, and white fir. What's causing these Doug fir die-offs in particular? Yeah, it's it's a, a really similar process to what's happening with the true fir. So we call it a decline spiral. So, you know, first you have to understand that the amount of Douglas fir that is growing at lower elevations in southwest Oregon is, is probably a lot greater than it was historically because historically we had a lot of uh, frequent low severity wildfires that tended to promote forests that had more pines and oaks and certainly some Douglas fir, but not as much as we have now. So the landscape has really changed. And then in recent years, we've had drought, of course, uh, but it's been drought accompanied by higher temperatures, particularly in the summer. And that has really stressed trees to their limits on these hot, already hot and dry sites. And then opportunistic insects come along and take advantage of these stressed trees and kill them. So a very similar dynamic is happening with the true fur. It's just a different species, different species of insect, but the, but the basic idea of landscape change with fire exclusion, drought, 
and opportunistic insects is very similar. Chris Chambers, I understand that part of what you've done is uh, using drones to to get an aerial view close to Ashland. Can you give us a sense for the pictures that have come from that? I mean, what do you see? There is a lot of uh, what we call red and dead out there. Uh, canopies that have turned from green to red. Ashland has always kind of prided itself on having this uh, the emerald necklace of forests surrounding our community. And and that emerald necklace is, uh, is changing to something a little more ruby colored these days. Hmm. Uh, in our uh, assessment done uh, with a local company called Rogue Reconnaissance, they use a, um, a drone to look at the forest uh, with what's called a multispectral camera. So a multispectral camera can see what the human eye can see, but it also has two lenses that add uh, dimensions that we don't pick up with our eyes to be able to see uh, changes in canopy color and uh, trees that are not only obviously dead, but on their way to being dead. And so we can categorize that. And we did in this report and put it all together. What the drone sees from above is about 20% of all Douglas fir at lower elevations, this places Max was talking about, are either dead or dying right now. What we know also from surveys from the ground is that there are a lot more uh, indications of mortality in Douglas fir that you can't see from above, but you can only see from below. How much more that adds to the 20% tally, we don't know that, but just from walking around in our forests and doing assessments and some of Max's colleagues who are out in the woods right now, um, really trying to get an idea of how much more than what we see from the air is dying. It's probably pretty significant, um, but you know, 20% that we can see now is concerning enough. You mentioned that this is surrounding your community. How close uh, is the are, are the the dead or dying trees to people's homes or or other buildings? Very close, and in fact, of course, uh, none of this stops at any property lines. So it has been for about three years running now in the drought here and across Oregon. Of course, people have experienced this, but uh, here in, in particular, a lot of people have had trees die like right in their yards. We get weekly calls from people who have one, two, up to 20, 30, 40, even you know, hundreds of trees on larger forest land ownerships that border the city. Uh, and they just don't know what to do with all the dead and dying trees. And it, it really is a, a significant problem that is literally in people's backyards. The city property that we surveyed, uh, which includes uh, open space under the Ocean Parks and Recreations uh, purview, it, many of those acres are also in people's backyards and adjacent to private property and the city limits. Some is inside the city limits and some is just a stone's throw up into the lower Ashland watershed certainly within the realm of what could be influenced by a wildfire casting embers into the city. So it is of uh, high concern to the safety of our citizens uh, that we look at this problem as well as the health of the forest. Hmm. Max Bennett, what happens after a dug fur has died because of drought or is is about to die? I mean, I, one first question is, how long is it likely to to stay standing? Yeah, uh, it, uh, that depends somewhat on the size of the tree. So generally speaking, a larger tree would, would persist for longer. 
Um, some small trees may fall in, in just a few years. Larger ones could, could be standing for you know, many years, decades even in some cases. So, so it's, it's quite variable, but basically the trees, you know, initially there's a lot of uh, red, you know, obviously dead needles on the trees, red foliage, it's very flammable. Then eventually though, you know, in fairly short order, those fall off. And then over time you have um, branches, you know, the, the tree is basically decaying and branches are falling to the ground and, you know, eventually uh, they topple over. What do these dead or, or downed trees mean for habitat? I mean, some number of dead trees have obviously always been a part of a natural ecosystem. What role do they play? Yeah, I mean, and, and Chris can certainly address this too, but, you know, dead trees are essential for forest health. Uh, we need dead trees. There are a lot of uh, bird species, small mammals, many species that depend on dead trees. They're important for nutrient cycling. So, you know, we don't want to get rid of all the dead trees on our landscape, but th there is a question of balance. And and right now, uh, I, I think it would be reasonable to say that we're way out of balance in terms of the amount of dead trees relative to habitat needs. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about massive Douglas fir die-offs in Ashland's watershed and how the city can respond. So back to you, Chris Chambers, you did mention the watershed in, in your last answer. How does that complicate everything we're talking about? This is where your drinking water comes from. That is a serious issue for the city of Ashland. Uh, we actually derive about a billion gallons of drinking water from our watershed per year. It is, it's not the only source, but is by far the primary source of water for our economy here in Ashland. And of course, our citizens who are here year round. Um, it, where it is situated is, um, you know, it, it's kind of like putting the uh, the kindling and and together for a campfire and you put the paper at the bottom of the fire and you light it. That's where all of the die off is happening is that the, the bottom where you would put the fire, the paper to light your campfire. And, and that's kind of how fire behavior works. It tends, you know, fires tend to travel uphill uh, most rapidly and out of control. And that's where we have this the, this fuel that is developing at these lower elevations. It's right against people's homes and the infrastructure of our community, but it's also at the very foot of the Ashland watershed where we get our drinking water. What's the nightmare scenario? <laughs> yeah, that's one way that does keep me up at night, a lot of nights. Um, the nightmare scenario is certainly a fire starting right on the edge of the community where it's immediately impacting private residences, causing evacuations, causing our fire department to have to defend people's homes, as well as uh, our agency fire partners from the Department of Forestry at the state level and, and the federal level, the U.S. Forest Service. Uh, in response, where we, you know, primarily are thinking about protecting lives and property, and we just don't have the resources immediately to try to put the fire out as it, uh, you know, blows up into the Ashland watershed. Um, 
and and creates uh, potentially a lot of damage. And we've done a lot of upslope forest stewardship over the years under the Ashland Forest Resiliency Project and managing the city's forest lands actively since 1995. So we're trying to reduce the impact of what we know is an inevitable fire on the landscape above town where our water comes from. Uh, but as climate change pushes us towards hotter and drier conditions, some of those uh, treatments may not work unless they're kept up to date and maintained. And we try to do that through prescribed burning. So we feel like, you know, we've done a good job and we've done a lot. There's still a lot more to do, but that nightmare scenario is still there. And if we don't act quickly with the, the, the Douglas fir mortality that's happening soon, we are going to have a lot of fuel right at our doorstep. So what is the plan now in terms of of thinning, of, of I, I, from what I understand, helicopter-based logging. I mean, what's the scale of what you think needs to happen? You know, this this is something, luckily, that we have some experience with. Uh, back in 2004, the city responded to a similar die-off of Doug fir, maybe not as many trees as we're seeing now, but um, it was substantial at the time. Um, we did hire a helicopter company to come in. Uh, we marked a lot of dead and dying Doug fir. We also uh, cut and thinned out a lot of green trees. And the way I think it, to think about this project and what we need to do is not just in response to this one small episode of uh, dying trees. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, um, it, it is it's a blip. And what we're looking at is really a, a really mount, like a mounting tidal wave that's coming with climate change. And so what we're trying to do is tackle the, the underlying conditions that are going to lead to not only have led to what's happening right now, but what is probably worse in the future. And, you know, Max can talk about some of the models that look out 20 and 30 years and what that looks like for Southwest Oregon. And it's not pretty. So what we're doing now is thinking in the long term, what's the forest going to be like? What's the environment going to be like in 25 years? How can we prepare our forests to absorb what's coming with the least amount of disruption and uh, at the same time protecting our community? So in, it's not only a response to what's happening now, but it's really looking forward. And uh, fortunately, we have a great city council and a forest uh, lands commission who has written a plan for that. And we got that passed through the council this April. So we've been thinking about this issue for uh, a couple of years, even before the latest uh, pulse of dead trees has showed up on the hillsides. What do you see as a public appetite these days for prescribed burns or an, an increase in selective logging? You know, it is a good question. What we have seen so far in our work in Ashton Forest Resiliency, that's a project that started in 2010 and is still ongoing. We actually have a longitudinal survey done by Southern Oregon University. We followed the same set of people and uh, gauged their attitudes towards those exact topics that you brought up, prescribed burning and thinning our forests. And support for both activities grew over time. So as people saw what was the what it looked like in the forest and the effects that it was having and we could show with data collection that we were actually reducing fire danger to the community and the watershed 
people's support uh, was was steadily increasing. I hope that we will still see that kind of support. I know we have a lot of concern in the community as people look up at the hillsides and they see a lot of dead trees. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of outreach in the next month to two months, taking people on tours. And that has really been the hallmark of what we've done in involving the community is getting people's feet out there in the forest to experience it directly. Um, and I think there's no substitute for that. And those discussions you have on the ground are the most important and really help inform people. And I think people have an environmental ethic here in Ashland that um, and they're open to science and what it's been, what the research that Max is bringing to the table and many, many other research publications saying that we really have to act right now uh, if we want to be proactive about this topic. And if we, if we don't embrace that change and prepare for for it, it's still going to come and we're not going to like it uh, if we're not guiding it. Uh, but just to be clear, then that people in Ashland should expect more prescribed burns in the coming years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we have done a lot of work. In fact, we have about a 13,000 acre footprint of work that's been completed uh, since 2010. Uh, that means we would like to be visiting those acres every 10 years with prescribed fire. Uh, we've gotten up to about six or 700 acres of burning per year now. Well, we need to add five or 600 acres to that. So, you know, it, it does get challenging when you've got these smoky summers to talk about, oh, we need to look at, we need to see more smoke. And yeah, there's gonna be some smoky days from our burning, but the the uh, the grim truth of where we're at right now with climate change is we have to do this work. And, and that's not just unique to Ashland. Uh, a lot of communities across Oregon are facing that same decision. And um, certainly Deschutes County has pursued it pretty aggressively and done a lot of good burning and many other places too. And uh, we see it as a uh, not really a choice, but um, as something that's imperative. And Max Bennett, before we say goodbye, I mentioned at the beginning that you're a retired extension forester at OSU. Why are you still doing this work? Why are you still doing this research? Well, I think it's, you know, it's just as, uh, as Chris said, I mean, we really need to help our forests adapt to the change that is is inevitable. And, you know, I, you know, I, it's important to me, I love our forests, and, you know, I want to contribute to that. So in, in my small little way, so, um, you know, we have a great partnership down here with uh, folks like Chris and many, many others that are involved in thinking about how we can help our help restore our forests and uh, adapt them to the future. And it's just it's a fun group to be part of. Chris Chambers and Max Bennett, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Max Bennett is retired extension forester at Oregon State University. Chris Chambers is the forest officer for the city of Ashland. If you tune in to Think Out Loud because you love learning about what's happening in our region, you'll love listening to The Evergreen. This weekly podcast paints an audio portrait of the Pacific Northwest through the stories of the people who live here. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.